Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Crude Audacity podcast, the podcast that talks shop shit and strategy for oil, energy, and politics. Today, I am joined by Chris McGowan. He is a lawyer battling on the forefront of oil and gas for Colorado and beyond, and has thrown his hat in the ring for county commissioner of Ellis County, Kansas. Proud young Republican. Chris, welcome to the Crude Audacity. Well, thanks for having me on, Catherine. It's it's great to be here. Um, how, how, it's how are been you a minute. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while, but we are back. So, you know, give the people a little bit. I need what made you uh, get involved in oil and gas out in Colorado. I know you've got a lot of insider trading you're about to drop on us today. So give the people a little intro. Uh, no, it's, it's so yeah, thanks for, for having me on. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've worked in uh, oil and gas now for, uh, I think, roughly a decade, I think it was. Um, so I moved out to Colorado. I'm from Kansas. I was born and raised here, um, here in Hayes, Kansas. And uh, I graduated uh, high school and I went off and played basketball at a, at a couple of different colleges. I, I played Division One and played Division Two. Yeah. Uh, those, How tall those, are you? Officially. I'm six eight. Yeah, I'm six eight. <laughs> For those that know me, like that's not a shock. Um, but yeah, I'm six eight. Uh, I was six eight two sixty at the time, and in much better shape. And you know, like twenty seven less screws in my feet. So, um, yeah, yeah, I've had some surgeries and the like. But no, it's great. I, I played Division one, Division two. I played at junior college for a year, and and up in Colorado, met my wife, and and uh, you know, we've been together ever since. And and you know, we lived out there for nineteen years, and. I got involved in oil and gas because I saw a job posting um, for the Colorado Oil and Gas Association for doing community outreach stuff. And at the time I was a lobbyist for the Colorado Medical Society. Um, and I wanted to get into energy. My wife's an oil and gas accountant. She does revenue and a whole bunch of stuff. And she'd been in it for a long time. And so I saw the job posting and I've been at CMS for about a year, but at the time my boss was a, a dear friend and mentor who actually has since passed on. She actually died this year. Um, she was a, a wonderful person and she was like, you should do it. And I was like, you know, I've been here a year and I like, you know, this or whatever. She's like, you should do it. She's like, oil and gas where you want to be, you love it. I was like, okay. And it so is I, dramatic. I, it is dramatic. Well, and at the time, so, and, and here's the, it's been a long and crazy journey. So at the time, this was right when local government stuff started heating up, right? And I was a state lobbyist for healthcare, right? And, and I had been a state senate sapper. And so this was really when like local governments and activist groups were really, really springing up and really trying to, you know, this is around the Broomfield started trying to pass their first amendment, some other stuff. And so when I started actually during the interview, they saw how big I was. You'd make a joke about how big I was. <laughs> um, they even asked me, they were like, you know, do, do people intimidate you? Right. Cause the activists were getting real aggressive in the like, and I was like, you know, I'm six, eight, two sixty. Not really anybody does. <laughs> like, okay. And I, and I'm pretty sure that helped me just because of how contentious it was at the time. So I did, uh, I was a community outreach coordinator and I did all like front range, like regulatory work, local government work up and down the front range. And then ironically, I was in law school at the time, right? During that time, I had gotten into law school at the last part of CMS. When I started COGA, I, I was actually in law school and I wanted to be on a way in gas lawyer, right? And so I was doing night law school and all these like night community meetings, you know, the, the city council uh, always meet at night. And so you have night, you know, first year of law school, which is your hardest. Plus I'm working like 70 hours a week and it's crazy. On top of that, they had just passed the bans for Fort Collins and Broomfield at that time, right? Oh, okay. So, I remember that. Yeah. So they passed those. 
So I'm working at Koga, trying to be an oil and gas lawyer. I'm going to law school at night at DU. Koga is suing to overturn the local government bans in court. And DU, their law, their environmental clinic was actually uh, working in concert with the local governments to defend it. So they were, uh, yeah, there was a, there was a, and actually a couple of my classmates like volunteered. So they that have was their the, reputation for a reason. Oh yeah, no, they're, they're completely like, they're, I don't even think they teach oil and gas anymore. It's a real shit. I mean, they oh, used to no, create oil and gas teach course. how to argue. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I mean, that's part of, it's, 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 so what they tell you is, is when you're in law school, they teach you how to think. They teach you how the, the law and they teach you how to think about the law is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I do know that they aren't really teaching oil and gas anymore. And it's sad. I, I mean, I'm one of the last few like pure oil and gas lawyers that probably come from the school and it's a long line of traditional people that do that sort of work. So it's sad. I mean, I don't know of anybody else that does it like I do from DU right off the top. I mean, there's like a few other people, maybe like three or four and mm -hmm. some go to big firms and do it. But like just like going into it, like I wanted to be an oil and gas lawyer. And so that, that all created for a unique environment um and so i did that for like a, about a year and a half and it was it was and i was at the time I actually had a really rare I, I still have it i actually have a super rare eating disorder so i was actually like 160 pounds at the time i got super sick it was really bad so anyway I, I, like it was crazy my first couple you know year and a half two years of law school was, was insane and so then i actually took a job as a law clerk at a, at a firm that i still work with today they're tremendous like the finest oil and gas lawyers i have absolutely ever worked with um, it was the firm as Paulson O'Dell and Peterson. I was a law clerk there for two and a half years and a litigation associate for a year. Um, I still work with one of their partners on a case right now. Um, Nick Schwarzenegger, he's, he's brilliant. Scott Campbell is just brilliant. I mean, they're both tremendous. I mean, it is a great law firm. Um, I really learned a ton about being a lawyer there and it's, you know, I'm, it's a privilege of mine to know them and they, they really taught me everything I knew about being a lawyer. And so they're oil and gas lawyers and they really taught me the, like, the legal side and how to think about it. You know, like like my friend Susan, who's the one that got me to be an oil and mm -hmm. gas, told me she said, "Think like a lawyer," and so that's what I've always tried to do um, with respect to oil and gas because it's by far the most complex area of law. It encompasses almost every single thing that's that is in the law. I mean, I, I mean, name it; it will. It will it's foundational. It, well, no, and it's, it is it's foundational. Actually, so it's not foundational. Like you have foundational core topics, and those those are all interwoven into oil and gas. It just encompasses those, right? So corporations you form you know corporations obviously all of our they're privately held all the way up to the largest corporations in the world right it ranges mm -hmm. court law, it ranges property law property law land use law land use and planning i'm a land use and zoning attorney that's what i got my llm and so it does all of it right litigation towards civil contract i mean i mean literally all of them are roped into it so it's it's a really yeah. i love it and so then I actually ran into in the lobby one day, a dear friend of mine who I'd worked with at the Capitol, Tracy Bentley, and, you know, she was looking for an associate director to, because at the time that was uh, right around there running a, like the third ballot measure. And so I, you know, I talked to her and I really wanted to work at the American Petroleum Institute. Um, and I, and Tracy's wonderful. And, and I really, really looked up to her and still do. She's, she's tremendous. She's down in Texas now. And so I, I emailed her and she's talking to another friend of mine. So I just emailed her and I was like, look, I'd love to work for you at the API. And there you go. <laughs> so she's like, send me your resume. And, and anyway, it took a while. And so she ended up giving me the job and I started in August and like literally two weeks later, proposition 112 dropped. I mean, I'm not kidding you like two weeks later. And so that perfect was timing for you. Yeah, perfect timing. So I went through pandemic proposition 112, Senate bill 181 happened when I was there. And then all the local government rulemakings after that. So it was crazy. I was spending like 
you know, 12, 14 hours a day, a lot of it on the road, driving up down the front range. It was insane. The pandemic hit all of that. So it was, it was a wild time. It was, it was absolutely insane. And so that was where I got into oil and gas. And, and then I worked for there for three years. And then just this last year, um, you know, I, we, we kind of had it over Denver and I think we're going to talk a little bit about that, but yeah, you're, you Denver, were a part of the great migration, uh, out, so to speak. Out, yeah. No, my wife and I literally looked at each other one day, uh, February of last year. And we were like, we're out of here. We can't do it anymore. And we had been looking for a little bit just because Denver's lost its luster and had been for quite a while. And the pandemic kind of put the nail in the coffin. And so we were looking around and we couldn't figure out what to do. You know, my wife and I looked at some other places. We looked at some cities and, and we thought about a lot of what we wanted to do. And, and every time we talked about it, we always came back to like moving back to rural Kansas where my family's from because we kind of knew the environment. We knew the people that are here and we knew what we were looking for. And to your point, like we, we just really enjoy an environment where you don't have to worry if you, you know, go for a walk at night and that sort of stuff. So we packed up, moved back and I started law practice and here we are. <laughs> well, the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is to talk about this migration because they're saying we're having the great resignation and you know, we're in a midterm and a midterm that is unlike any other midterm, I would argue in the history of the United States. But not only are we seeing the great resignation, which is arguably, in my opinion, because of a generation of narcissistic helicopter parents who are great parents, but we're seeing young Republicans such as ourselves getting fed up with blue counties, blue states, and saying, I've had enough. But also affordability has been a real topic across the front range, and I'm talking from Montana all the way down to New Mexico, Arizona, and across Texas as well. So as a young Republican, that being under 45, and yes, I did go and check to make sure that we still qualified. Um, <laughs> what are you seeing and what are you hearing amongst these peer groups? Because I think something as dramatic as this like mass exodus from blue counties and states it really reflects on how the vote is going to go come these upcoming primaries. We just had 19 primaries. And then what we're going to see in November, because independents and young Republicans, proud conservatives, I think we've had enough. We, we haven't had a good run of it since 2008. And that's directed towards the oil industry as well. So I think there's a lot in there. Um, and what I'll say is I'll start with this. So I thought, I think... Over the last decade, what you saw, like, so let me, let me start, actually take a little bit of a step back. So over time, <laughs> traditionally, what you've seen is a migration from rural areas to urban areas, right? Kids would, on the job, whole thing, job hunting. job hunting, whatever, I want to do X, I want to be, you know, I'm a lawyer, right? I, I want to be a lawyer, so I want to do X, right? And so over time, you saw that's what I did. You know, you went out, you do what you think you want to do, and, and you live this dream or whatever. And I think what you've seen is, is over time, especially starting in, in early, actually early 2008, 2010, for example, California just lost its first congressional seat it has in its state's history, right? And Colorado um, think, picked one up. Picked one up. And you saw some other, other states that you unnecessarily wouldn't have expected to pick one or two up. You, you saw that happen. You saw some other ones, you know, places like New York, I think, lost a seat, right? Mm -hmm. So you saw that you're seeing these migrations from these really heavily blue areas that are just awful places. I mean, there's just awful places to live. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm sorry, but they are, right? I could talk all night about this. They tax time. us. They tax us. And I'm sorry, but our, our group, our age demographic can't afford the taxes. It doesn't matter how many hours we work the week. 
Well, and it's not, it's, it's, it's more complex than that. So you got to think the taxes lead to spending, it leads to inflation, it leads to inflationary home costs, right? You talk about affordable housing, but no one will approve any housing unless it has X number of electric charging point, ports and all of this. And they're like, hey, basically sell it for not making a profit. It all works together, right? And yep. this is actually part of the reason I wanted to run for local government is because I've witnessed this firsthand up and down the front range, what all of these awful policies do, right? Mm -hmm. First, you start with land use and zoning that zone stuff out, right? I mean, they've done an eerie zoned out oil and gas. I mean, it's a ban. You can call it whatever you want. It's a 2000 foot setback in a town that's required uh, location and siding and heavy industrial where none such exists in the entire town. That's a ban. I'm sorry. There's no other way that to is. call it, right? You can look Without up question. and down the front range, you look at Larimer County's rules, which are overly restrictive and burdensome. I mean, you basically can't build a house. I mean, I saw a witness one time in Fort Collins, they brought like a 40% AMI house with like affordable housing up and down and, and they denied it because it wasn't affordable enough. I hear talk out everywhere about these insane land use policies that are that are absurd, right? And in my county where I was, there was a couple of land use denials that I, I think were wrong, I, I didn't agree with, and there was some other stuff. And so you know, you look at what local government does in your daily life, right? Mass, everyone thinks mass mandates were like, you know, the CDC, or, but it wasn't, it was your local government. That's who did it. They didn't have it in Ellis County. That's why I came back. One of the reasons I came back, right? Like you have to understand local government is what basically runs your daily life. But you see what happens when you have this mi great migration come in is these voters leave these terrible places and then vote for the same people that do terrible things and the places they lived at. It's ridiculous. Exactly. So don't point, don't California my Kansas, so to well, speak. Well, and that's the thing is that never stuck for a while until everything came at once. And now people are like, oh, yeah, we shouldn't California, for example, Colorado. But what you're seeing is now the reverse opposite of on both accounts, what I, th what I think. Mm -hmm. Not only are you seeing conservatives say enough is enough, right? Actually, the people fleeing places like Colorado and California are conservatives. Yep. But they're not only fleeing these places like you talk about, these high tax, high cost of living. I think mean, my cost of living has gone down like literally a third. I mean, I, and I'm not exaggerating that something like at least even with third, inflation, even with inflation, I'm absolutely See? not even kidding you. And it's so if you look at that. I got a house that was half the cost of my house in Denver for literally a thousand square foot bigger with a two car garage backyard and front yard. I mean, you know what I mean? My HOA dues are like a hundred bucks a month. And not only that, are you seeing the migration from these terrible blue areas, but you're seeing it into rural areas where they're like, look, I mean, when you live in the city, great. Everybody says, well, I live in the city for all this stuff. I live in the city for 19 years. I went to dinner sometimes. I went to a few games. I went to some plays, all of which I can do in a weekend trip in four and a half hours, every single one. And to be honest with you, I can do it in Kansas City if something's better because that's three hours and 45 minutes. So for me, I'm actually in better shape than most people because I have two major cities and I don't have to deal. I, like one time I got out of my car and got gas. And there was like needles just next to the gas. I don't do that. Oh, yeah. you, you don't have that in haze. I don't see any of that at all. So Sorry, what are the politics? No, I mean, you're absolutely correct. We're seeing it in Denver. Denver has become tent city. It used to be one where I live downtown and I would go to Union Station and work on Fridays because that was like where I would get my coffee. It was such a big deal. I could walk at 2 a.m. downtown and feel safe. I don't walk downtown period anymore. And it's not just Colorado's Denver, it's up north, it is in Phoenix, it's uh, Nashville. We're seeing these major cities be taken over by horrible policies. And the people who are gonna make the difference are the people who vote in this midterm to get the ball rolling. And I, I'm firm, I'm steadfast in that I think it's going to be young independents and young Republicans. But let's talk about the well, politics well of 
I think you're right. Actually, that's one thing I did want to say. I actually think you're right about something. You know, it's something I actually saw a little oh, bit about. Thanks. <laughs> no, no, and I, I don't mean it like that. What I mean it is, is, is I think you are right. And when I when I say that, is I saw some stuff on Twitter actually, and I I, I don't do social media a ton. But basically, I saw basically where they're calling a balkanization and where Republicans are doing just what you're talking about. They're balkanizing in redder areas, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons we moved to Kansas was because it was a conservative state, right? It's a Republican state. Um, you know, everything is Republican here except for our governor, which is about to change uh, in about six months. Um, that that I, I, I will I am excited to actually vote for somebody who wins for a change, I will tell you. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I, that was a reason we moved back was because of the politics, because it's, I mean, there's always going to be skirmishes, right? Because there's more center right Republicans or far right Republican, all of that. Right. And um, I, I'm generally more conservative on a lot of issues, you know, I, but I, I have my own beliefs on everything. Right. And I, I'm actually a person that likes to debate ideas and the like, and that's yes. one cool thing about here is that you're at least debating value, actual ideas that make like sense, as opposed to like, you know, should we impose some random carbon tax to kind of get $50 million for the office of, or the Republic of like, Chad or whatever it's called. Yeah, I mean, none of called. this, it's none of, you know, like ridiculous. Here, here we're talking about like school bonds are an issue. Okay, fine. Like I can live with that. That's a great discussion about school, local schools. We're not talking about like, I saw news, you know, Denver's parks get shut down because human waste. Here, yes, we're talking about like bettering our schools. It's, it, and it's a, it's a, just a much better community. It's a cl- better class of people. Like, and, I, and when I say better class of people, I mean, we're not electing people that are, outright trying to what i feel like is run the city in the ground in a sense right all of these well there's a sense of duty there's a sense of pride there's a sense of stewardship to your neighbor your fellow man there is a value put on your neighbor and your fellow man so you show up to do the job we've lost that uh in most major cities but we have lost that's why we're seeing upticks in shootings i'm a gun over owner i'm concealed carry i have all of it I wouldn't dream of pulling half the crap that we see in the news, but isn't it, I mean, it's just so suspect, the timing, the tragedy behind it all. It's because somewhere along the lines, we had it so good that we had to devalue something and we chose to devalue our neighbor. And it's unacceptable. So, and that's actually a great point. That's a great illustration of what I mean by by different, you know, even type of people is, we had like two or three good neighbors um, when we lived in Denver, lived in a complex. No, I mean that. I don't like, know any couple, mine. <laughs> yeah, no, literally, there was like two or three lived in complex of a few hundred, and there was like a bunch of terrible other ones, right? We didn't even talk to them. We had all kinds of, and we lived like two blocks from Cherry Creek High School, so we live in a nice neighborhood. Nice Here, area. Yeah, our, our neighbors are great, right? Like, we talked to them all the time. They brought chicken soup for my wife. You talk about guns. We talk about guns. One time I was like, hey, can I buy that gun case? He was like, no, because I'm keeping it for my, you know, they're just nice people. They're great human beings all of our neighbors are fantastic we talk to all of them we talk about having block parties basically the way neighborhoods used to be we went over and talked to our other neighbor the other night like there's democrats republicans all of it you know like nobody's it's it's a it's a sense of community and that's that's really the distinctive difference between the types of people in in, in major cities in rural america and this is where i would say this all politics is local. I'm running up for a local office. Mm-hmm. I'm running on things like county budget, right? I want a responsible stewardship of dollars, not raising the mill levy. How does yeah. the school bond interact? All of those local issues. But we have seen a nationalization of lo- uh, at the local level too, because people in our communities, right? For example, one of the things that we're talking around here is what type of growth do we want, right? Are we going to yeah. get folks from the cities moving in here because, you know, you can work for Facebook, make $250,000 to buy an affordable home. 
At the same time, there's not many affordable homes in Hayes because we need to develop more homes and get more construction, right? Those are the sorts of things that you deal with at a local level here in Ellis County, as opposed to, you know, we had 13 shootings in wherever, pick any city yes. in America, right? I mean, LA has a huge crime problem, right? There's 10 cities, you know, pick any of them. Seattle, San Francisco, you can't San Francisco, even park your you know, car. You can't even buy stuff in San Francisco without a store associated anymore. And that stuff's real. Everybody thinks it's like these yeah. TikTok videos. They're real things. I witnessed yeah. that when I lived in Denver like two times. That stuff happens in major cities. And so when you move to these small communities, like you're not going to be shoplifting. Like three or four people will make sure you don't. And, and that's, that's Damn straight to your neighbor that you talk about, and I think is really valuable in these places. And one thing I really love about Ellis County is that sense of community, your neighbor, right? The disagreements here are pretty basic compared to what you hear, you know. So I, I really, uh, it's a, funny you're bringing all of this up because yeah, you and I will argue it's it's a sense of small town community versus big city, but then you'll see the other side of the argument of it's a millennial versus a Gen Z or versus a boomer. But I think most millennials are actually waking up and saying, this is not okay. This is not what I want for my future, my kid's future, my neighbor. And they're looking around and they're getting more involved when otherwise they would be mostly apathetic. So who was it that said all politics are local? Tip O'Neill. And he said that because and it was funny. It's actually one of the, the reasons I started walking in my neighborhood. So Tip O'Neill was a speaker of the House for like longer than anybody in, I think, American history. He was a Democrat from Boston and he actually lost his first race for, I think, state Senate. And he went back and looked in the voter totals, I think is the legend or whatever. And, and he looked and he saw his neighbors actually hadn't voted uh, for him in, in great numbers. And he went around and he was like, hey, man, I'm your neighbor. And he's like, they were like, yeah, we still like to be asked. And so he was like, look, at the end of the day, it's always kitchen table issues. It's always your local voters. It's name ID. It's getting out to places like I try to get out to as many events as possible. I'm going to try to get out to the fair. And, you know, it's, it's like in Kansas. In, in Kansas, you talk about millennials and older generation. Yeah, there's a divide. But I think less a divide, right? One of the things I love about Kansas is it's like a span of like kind of conservative beliefs. Even Democrats aren't like you're kind of crazy Democrats. I mean, there's some progressives yeah. out here. There definitely is. And there's actually, in a, in a way, there are some still some dynamics that you'll find in, in a kind of a bigger city. I mean, Hayes is a city, right? It's 20. But the 000. interesting point is that your end goal, they're all the same. So how you get there doesn't really matter if you've got different paths if you have the same end goal whereas we're seeing what's happening in the news in the far left they don't have the same end goal as the rest of america they have got a different agenda and it's starting to make those who were uninvolved get very involved and find their voice for the first time in american politics well i think that's right um what i'll tell you is you know i Everybody talks about where you fall in the political spectrum, right? I might could say, like a lot of people say, where. and to me, I'm pretty much the same guy politically I, I've, I've been for a long time. I mean, I've probably moved farther right on some issues on certain maybe, I don't know. I don't know, even, even social issues. I've always been pretty conservative, but I, I'm always like a freedom and liberty oriented guy, right? I'm all about living your own life. I, I don't want the government or anybody. That's why it's faith, family, and freedom. That's literally the what, is, what did Reagan say? The worst, the worst sentence in history is I'm the government and I'm yeah. here to help. I'm from the government, I'm here to help. And so yeah, yeah. Like, I'm a freedom-oriented guy. And so, I mean, from that aspect, that's kind of where my, my focus has always been. Um, you know, I think, I think here you see some divide generationally, but generally for the most part, I think it's more 
conservative leaning in both social and business aspects. But that's the thing is, I think everybody, to your point, everybody talks about where you fall. I, I think I think the left has moved farther left than the right has moved farther right. In other words, there's always extremes on, on both sides. Absolutely. But like 10 minutes ago, some of this stuff was like common sense. For example, and I mean, here's the thing. Everybody calls, like you, you, people are, oh, that's just not true. Like, I mean, you've seen the videos, right? Of like parents trying to read books at school board meetings, right? And then they get censored. That's like a real video. You can pull that up on the internet right now. Like this isn't making, I have a friend that lives in one of those school districts, right? And I mean, this is real life stuff. Like some of this stuff is insane. And some of these policies are insane, right? We're talking about government building housing and being a landlord. Like just some of this stuff doesn't make any sense, right? As a land. And so that's why I love living out here is that, you know, for example, one of my core things that I'm running on is land use. I'm a land use attorney. Look, yep. look you, you, you get land, the land use is something. this the crux of it all. And well, yeah, realize no, and, that, but almost every argument goes back to land use as you develop affordability, oil and gas, energy development, uh, sustainable energy versus traditional energy. I mean, all of it. And it's property rights. It's look, if I have something, look, and, and if I have something and I meet all the criteria for what I want to build and I've invested my, my money and my time and my capital on that, basically I should approve it outside something illegal or non-conforming or, you know, any of those sorts of things. I think you should basically be allowed as long as it's used within the zone. I mean, you should be able to fire away, right? And we have these fights about it. Oh, we want single, you know, we want multiple family zoning and we want all of this stuff like that. Like that's the community's decision. All yep. this stuff. Look, I was talking to a guy yesterday. I, I tell people this. Everybody thinks government is complex. It's not. People make no, it complex. It is so simple. It is super simple and people make it complex. It's sort of like I get the question, what are you going to do when you get into office? Well, honestly, sometimes, for example, not doing anything, right? Had we not done a whole bunch of stupid stuff over the last few years, we wouldn't be at eight and a half percent inflation. How about that? Like sometimes it's not being an idiot. That's part of what like it's it's super, super simple. And everybody makes it so, so hard. And if you sit down and work through problems, usually you can find a way to do it and find a solution that makes everybody happy until they hear, hear forthhand something that's basically untrue. And then you have to explain it all. And that's one of the things that does frustrate me is a lot of people live in a factless world, right? Like, yes, I mean, that kind it of like- It is how they me. feel, not reality. Yeah, and I'm I mean, sorry, but reality yeah. doesn't conform to that's your everyone, set of data. You know, and that's everywhere, but at least here, I think people take a little bit more time to be educated on stuff and there's not the vitriol in politics too. So that's one of the things I love about Kansas. So, yeah. Well, you, I mean, I'm going back to young Republicans because I'm just hammering it home. I want all of them to get out, to vote, to register, to vote, to be prepared for it because this midterm is a bigger deal than say okay. the upcoming presidential election. But what I have noticed, especially working with as many candidates as I do, is that it tends to be in the 50 and older group from women to men. So we are seeing, I mean, you are a young Republican, you decide to throw your hat in the ring and we are seeing sort of a hesitation amongst candidates or those interested in politics to take that leap and to, I mean, even if you lose, there are still benefits to having run for office from a professional, from a local, from a personal standpoint, I could rattle off 50 from the top of my head. So as you decided to step into the ring as a candidate for county commissioner, District 3, Ellis County, Hayes, Kansas, take us through that process. What made you finally decide that you knew that this was a path for you as a potential leader for your community? 
So uh, first, I love Can- I, I love Kansas. I mean, I really don't know how to cut it anywhere else. Like you're laughing because you know it's true. Every, yeah. every single person that's ever met me, like I introduced myself. I mean, I mean, it's just it's not. Uh, I mean, it's widely known. I mean, I've I've been a proud Kansas my whole life, right? I love where I'm from. I love this community, and and I like as I I indicated before, I, I, to me, I understand the local government importance, right? I understand how crucial it is, what role it plays. I have a special kind of deep knowledge of it, process, zoning budgets, all of these kind of things. I, I kind of really understand well. I've done them for so long, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's like I said, I an expertise I had developed, you know, over years of doing it um, in a regulatory and government affairs capacity, right? And, and, and a legal capacity. And so I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a land use lawyer. That's local government. That's the, that's the crux of local government. And for me, there's there's always like a couple of important issues, right? It's it's time for for people to stand up and kind of advocate for their belief. For me, at some point, you know, it was a, a stand for something or believe in nothing kind of moment, right? For me, it's like I think I can do this job and do it right. I think it can do it really well. I mean, I I think, I mean, just I think I'm the best person to do it at this time, and especially during this time because you talk about young Republicans and, and young Republicans have a lot of concerns, right? I think young Republicans have concerns about their futures, affordability, housing crisis, energy, you know, starting uh, businesses, starting businesses, right? Like, yeah, I did it all right. I come back, I started my own law practice, started my own small business yeah. in that office. And again, part of it, I also feel is it's my responsibility. And, and this, this may kind of sound corny or cheesy is because I have the expertise, the knowledge, I have a background in this kind of thing. And I can be an advocate for those that may not have all those things. It's a daunting task, right? I've yep. experienced doing this and it's hard for me. It's still time consuming for me starting a business. Now imagine if you have two, even three kids and you have all of these other things, like it's really difficult to do. And so I do think this process is, is challenging. And so for me, I was like, look, I don't have the kids. I, I, I work, you know, we, we've, I have the time, the ability to do all this stuff. I, I went out and I just started making my way. I met with a lot of folks in the community I have some really dear friends. I, I want to, you know, on this podcast, I'll, I'll say thank you to, you know, um, Sandy Jacobs was super helpful. Um, she, she's a council member here that did a tremendous amount for me. A, a dear friend of mine, Barb Wassinger, is our state representative. And I, I literally cannot say how helpful she was when I came back and encouraged me to run and all of these things. And, you know, she just, there's other people that have been here, business leaders and some other folks that have just really been, crucial to me getting out and they said you know you can do this right and my mom's been here my family's been here for 60 years my grandma knows the community I know the community really well and so I just felt like young Republicans have to step up and do something because because if we don't like our generation will be lost in this process and we have different concerns and fears than other people do and that was one thing I appreciate about the folks I mentioned is their generation they were like look you do need to get involved because we need young Republicans to step up yeah like my campaign manager Alex Johnson right I'm trying to get him involved and he's 18. Now he's a young Republican, right? That's the whole, yes. that's the whole thing is we're supposed to pass it on and pass our values and beliefs on. That's the goal. Well, also I'm thinking it's, it's more of, we have so many established and I would call them rhinos, you know, those that flow, they vote with the establishment. They don't vote for the people. And if we don't like the outcome of their voting records, it is for the community to step up and replace those individuals. Otherwise, be quiet. Like to your point, stand for nothing or stand for something or sit down and stand for nothing. It, there's no future if you just let it go with the flow. And we've seen too much that draining the swamp is a very real task that needs to be undertaken at this point. 
So my first thing is going to tell people is don't, if you don't vote, then don't bitch. So that's simple. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's it. And that's true. Right? And get out and vote for a candidate that has your beliefs. All right. Now I will say this. I, I've always believed in, in pride of the fact that the Republican party should be the big 10 party. I think we should have all sorts of people with, with beliefs, whether they be economic, social, you know, religious, whatever. You don't improve if you all have the same idea. I agree with that. And I agree and that's why I'm against the establishment because I'm sick of them just doing it their way. Well, and, and I get that. So, and, and that's part of it too, is that's actually one of the reasons is, is for me that I wanted to run is because I'm going to put it this way. I've, I've had a, a pretty good peek behind the curtain and, and I know how it works. And for me, <laughs> Having that knowledge and that vision and ability, I will put it this way. If you come to my office, I'm going to have some questions, right? I I, I know. Come on, give was, us a little more dirt. Well, no, I just, I mean, what do you want to know? It's just, it's, it's functionally. Drop I mean, names, Chris, drop names. <laughs> no, what I'll tell you is this, is that for whatever you think about politics, it's way worse. I, I will tell you that it's absolutely way worse. And I think that's part of it. I think that's the frustration that we have for people. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons you asked me if I'm running and why I got involved in politics and one of the reasons I love doing it is, yep. and I've heard this from other people, it's actually the same reason I was a lawyer, right? One of the nicest compliments I've ever been paid as a lawyer was you talk to us like a normal person, you know, use like random big words and try to sound smarter and all that just because I'm not that way, right? <laughs> like lawyers do that. They write all kinds of fancy stuff, big long sentences. This is really just normal people talk fancied up to make them seem like they're worth whatever you're paying them, right? It's the same thing with politicians, right? A lot of times you hear or see, right, I run on this or do this or whatever. People that know me literally know I wear it on my sleeve. There is one thing across the spectrum. If you've spent more than five minutes with me, and I'm telling you, if people listen to this entire podcast all the way through, they will know that this is it. This is me. Like legitimately, you're laughing because you know it's true, Catherine. You've no, I know. Well. I like, absolutely agree with it. Like you, you get what you pay for with me. And I think that's what people want in, in elected officials. I do. I truly believe that's what they want is someone that's just like, look. And sometimes you're not going to agree with me and I'll explain my rationale. And, if, and to your point, if you don't like that, if that's your deal breaking issue and you don't want to vote for me, that's America. That's a political process. I have two primary opponents. I, I encourage everyone to get in a primary run, make your voices heard. You talk Absolutely. about millennials, get out there and do something, be a poll watcher, get engaged, do something because this, it, our, our country Think behind the curtain. <laughs> Well, no, it's worth is, it. Everybody talks about democracies at stake. They might be right mainly because of apathy or engagement. And, you know, you can't just have Damn angry straight. people that want to make straight. our country like a socialism, a socialist hellhole, be the only ones engaged because they're angry. Like you got to drive, you got to engage, you got to vote, talk to your neighbor, believe what you believe, stand what you believe. I don't care what you believe, but have a reason for doing so. I believe what I believe. And I will I'm happy to engage with anybody about it, as you can see. I, as you know. I love it. I love I mean, it. That's... Well, Chris, one of the reasons I did want you on the show is because that peek behind the curtain, you have it when it comes to oil and gas. So as a big topic right now, we are seeing the, I just paid $5 for <laughs> gas driving across the country the other you week. Did. And holy crap, I got to make some more money to afford that kind of decision. But that goes back to affordability. Oil and gas is spiking and it's it's not just the federal government. It's poor decisions by oil companies. It is withholding. I know that on one hand, we want pricier energy, but on the other hand, it's kind of killing everyone. So when we're seeing a state like Colorado 
that went from, what is it, the fifth, fifth or seventh top producer in the country fall down to a zero investment state because of blue policies. What is actually the future of oil and gas? Because I don't see, I don't see it coming down for a while. Even if prices fell, we're still paying big bucks at the pump. Well, uh, I'm going to start with, you know, this is a self-imposed issue that we have worked very, very hard and activists have worked very, very hard to accomplish and they should be quite proud of I was about to say self-imposed. Explain that. Self-imposed. No, that's that's how we get to that. Yeah. No, what we've done here in this country, and and let me start with this too. Uh, First off, anything you read in the media, you shouldn't believe just outright. Uh, (laughs) The media in this country uh, carries the water for one particular political party. Um, the, the media it has an outright left-wing bias and they don't even hide it anymore, might I add. No. Right? You can get on and they're like, well, this is our civic duty because this is the truth, right? They're the same. Or let's say. just say something and see how many believe us. Well, like, you know, this, just is, see. This, this is the era of this is my truth, but my truth is also the truth, right? I mean, like you, you're also seeing journalists get fact-checked in real time. You, you've also seen, you know, how many defamations. I mean, you've got a real problem in the media when they pull lower than Congress. And so- um, the That's biggest true. problem in the media is not only are they activists, out and out activists, because, you know, climate change is going to kill us. I think I saw a, a very oddly specific uh, deadline from a protester of, of like 1,028 days or something weird. Um, yeah, no, that means they're getting, uh, yeah, they're, the, the world left from climate change, from global warming. Um, it's oh, an okay. oddly specific number. They're, they're very detailed about it. They know um, that's been going on since the 60s and started with Silent Spring, arguably, right? Yeah, correct. Yes. Well, okay. I'm, I, actually, I'm not sure these did because they're super young and I'm not even sure they read books. So um, oh, 50, 50 on that. <laughs> but to that end, I mean, but to that end, that kind of illustrates it, right? It's been the same media cycle, the same hype for many, many years. And what I, what I think is, is that is this is the issue that environmentalists have found that, that kind of has started to get, uh, I'm not going to say some traction, but some traction with the public, right? It, it pulls, you know, farther down the list than most, but it's still on the list for, for, for once. I think, you know, that's a media misunderstanding of how energy works, right? So it, energy works, it, energy doesn't come from the life socket, much much to the chagrin of the folks that are writing these articles, right? Um, you, you have places like Colorado, you have California put a ban on oil and gas development, you have New Mexico make rules tighter, you have Pennsylvania and Ohio make it more difficult, New York literally puts a ban on all natural oil, on, on all hydraulic fracturing and essentially bans oil and gas development. They ship it in though. They have no problem with those back end kickbacks. No, no, actually, you just you beat me to it. Actually, no, they don't. This is the beautiful thing is they actually shut off pipelines for a while there, maybe about a year, a year and a half ago. You couldn't actually build a house or a condo or anything in New York City because you couldn't get natural gas. So basically they people put a moratorium on growth. Do you remember that two years what? ago when we had that great big freeze? People were literally freezing to death in the United States of America, in rural New York. Because of that pipeline dispute. Because, and and that's the thing is, you know, you have the largest part of New England using heating oil, which is incredibly environmentally unfriendly because they won't let them build natural gas pipelines up there. We have an abundance of natural gas. It's all self-imposed. It's all astroturfed. You know, it's all activists creating um, an issue where there is none. And then we turn around and say, we'll just do renewable energy. Well, let's talk about some secrets of renewable energy, right? First Hashtag off, not, subsidies. Well, no, it, first off, outside of the subsidies, outside of the fact that the government hands out free money, which is hypocritical because all the same people yelling about that are the same people that are like, get rid of oil and gas studies, which basically amount to the same business tax code as anyone else gets, right? And when mm-hmm. people are, oh, you get drilling costs deducted. Yeah, like investment costs for any other business, they just happen to be listed specifically, right? This isn't yep. rocket science stuff. It's just people that are being willful, willfully ignorant 
or blind to the whole situation, right? Then you turn around and you say, how do we make these renewable energies? Well, let's be honest, we haven't permitted, or if we have, it's been like one or two mines in this country to mine rare earth minerals in decades, right? Basically the same situation as refiners. So where are we gonna get these minerals? Are they gonna come out of magical thin air? Well, of course not. I mean, I, I understand that people may think they do, but they actually don't. They actually come from places like Bolivia and China, super, super friendly countries that definitely <laughs> won't impact the market or definitely won't restrict our ability to get those or definitely won't jack up the cost to take money from American taxpayers' pockets to subsidize our fetish with basically some uh, uh, renewable energy sources, of which, by the way, and this is not me, this is a liberal, very far left news sources note that there are not enough rare earth minerals on planet earth to actually make the United States, let alone the world, go to 100% renewable energy at our current levels of energy production. It's not like technology is getting worse. It's not like we're using less electricity. Everybody wants to use an electric car, but nobody wants to build a natural gas plant to, to charge those cars. Just the other day, People in California getting warned, you can't charge your EV. So now you can't charge your EV. You have rolling blackouts. You can't use your AC. Like basically, are we living in the Stone Age now? We have oh, let we're, a we're reverting that set of environmental activists basically roll our standard of living back in this country so far back for their own end and their own pet purposes, right? What actually kills people more? Let me tell you what kills people more. Not having clean water in, in, in the in the middle uh, middle eastern countries or in the middle of, of the of the rest of the world where they don't have electricity or readily available power what kills people is energy poverty is freezing to death as you said or is 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 heat waves right it's not having ac everybody oh I don't want ac yeah people will die to death animals will die to death if they see like these are th these things oil and gas has saved more lives than probably any modern invention known to man. Everything well, you touch and it's do. It's a foundational right? industry. I, I it is understand. literally a foundation industry. It, it Every really... single industry builds up upon it. You cannot have modern technology without the oil and gas industry. And that is completely overlooked in every news segment, every story. They do not talk about the full cycle of consumption or capitalism or anything along those lines with what everything goes back to. And it's all baseload energy. But to your point, Chris, they'll sit there and try and hide all of the, I guess, subsidies, the back end, everything that makes solar wind. I mean, windmills don't win wars. And the argument back is, well, oil and gas is getting huge kickbacks. I would argue we're not getting half of the tax breaks, the subsidies, the kickbacks, whatever you want to call it, that renewable energy is. And yet there's some giant push to make farmers you know, go more electric, but electric is run by oil and gas. It's it's a misnomer. So what we're talking about is it's it's kind of, there's these interactions, right? So oil and gas has several purposes, right? And, and this is kind of, they, they've tried to tack it on different problems, right? So there is the, the, the electricity generation with renewable energy, but then there's also the transportation side of it, right? There's a big push to use, you know, let's get rid of in, internal combustion engines. Like, what are you going to do? Put an electric charging station in, North, in Northeast Ellis County? So that people farming can pull their truck over in the middle of a road and throw the old electric pump in like none of that's going to actually happen all of that takes it can't that relies it becomes our energy independence becomes energy reliance on other countries for the rare earth minerals required right natural gas has statistically and scientifically been shown to reduce greenhouse gas emissions i think we're one of the only countries that have actually done so 
We Despite are. And being, actually, I'm, we were already hitting the marks with the Paris We were hitting Accord. our marks in 2002. This is the thing. Yeah. Is it's scientifically speaking, you don't hear any of the actual facts about it. It's just global, global, global warming, global warming, global warming, you know, climate change, climate crisis, climate crisis, oil and gas, oil and gas. But you never hear, you never pull back the curtain to understand what actually that means, right? What's behind exactly. it? What, what requires The average life, soccer right? mom won't, but they will hold up science. Well, you're paying science. attention now. And see, that's the thing is these gas, these gas prices are intentional. They're, they're done intentionally. Um, it's done by, you know, not allowing pipelines. It's done by raising transportation costs. It's done by not holding lease sales on federal land. It's done by uh, killing passing. permits. Well, it's done by killing. Well, you can't always generally kill permits because they're property rights. But what you can do is you can make the subsequent Delay conditions yeah. or you can. Well, you can make the subsequent, you know, you can impose future, but I mean, there's, there's all these general legal questions and that that's really the, the kind of the complex nature of oil and gas. And this is where environmentalists come in is they basically come in and do the sue and settle method where they basically just throw like 40 lawsuits against it. And then the federal government right now controlled by Democrats is like, yeah, we feel really bad about that too. We're just going to go ahead and agree with you. Right. And so then, and then you end up with a constrained market. Right. And then everyone was like, oh, why is gas $6 a gallon? And then, and then obviously Politicians, oh, greedy oil companies, greedy oil companies making record profits. Do we haven't made profits in like two or three years, right? <laughs> no. We're still we not went, making profits. We went, we went into negative territory last year. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, look, yes. And, and everybody talks about profits too. Let's talk about profits for a minute. You're right. They are making profits. Where do those record profits go? Is it just like two or three shareholders? Like Taylor LaRue no, probably out writes the in the Washington Post? It doesn't. You know who the largest institutional shareholders and investors are generally? And oil and gas and stocks in general are it's it, it, the institutional investors are your pension funds, your state pension funds that everybody thinks is on the one hand, you guys have these Democrats that pass these bench pension bills that require a 13, 14, 15% return on investment on their entire portfolio to meet their demands, which means you end up with 30 billion in unfunded liabilities. And on the flip side, then you're like, oh, greedy stockholders, right? That actually have to pay the dividends that pay those retirees pensions, the retirees payment checks. They pay the taxes for all the government programs we do. This is called freaking math. This is called the economy, right? And so when you talk about these, oh, shareholder buybacks, that means shareholders, shares are worth more. So then the shareholders, mm -hmm. the institutional shareholders get more money back. So then it funds their pensions better. This is common sense. This is retirees investments. I have one guy, liberal Democrat, used to work with me in the oil and gas field industry. His parents were basically retired because they had a major company's oil and gas stock that paid out dividends every year. This guy's not some super fire breathing mm -hmm. conservative. He's, he's a pretty, uh, he's a Jewish dude. He's super nice, super smart. Um, and, and I'm saying he's very religious, very like, very progressive in a lot of issues. And this dude's a big oil guy because it, yeah. it pays for his family retirement. There's many so why? of these stories. Why the are these Democrats so anti-oil and gas knowing all of to this? about a 10% section of their base that says, look, oil and gas has to go. But no one realizes the implication of what happens when oil and gas goes. Nobody 100%. realizes that. So we are seeing the rules change across the board and it's getting harder and harder. The most recent being New Mexico because they just had to outdo Colorado. And that's why I've always say that Colorado is a leading state in this. What happens in Colorado disseminates down into other states. And I know you've been the front and center to the rulemaking processes. So without getting yourself in trouble, so to speak, Explain to the people what is actually happening there, because Polis, who is already telling people he would like to consider running for president in 2024, that man has single-handedly destroyed one of the most prosperous states in the entire United States of America. 
It is a zero investment state. I know we go back to Colorado a lot on this show, but there is a reason we are going back for oil and gas because it is a warning statement. So Chris, what can you tell me? Well, there's a couple of things going on there too. So one of those things from a, that, there's a, there's a politics and then there's a regulatory and industry perspective there. The politics side of it is um, that's good for, for Jared Polis, right? Jared Polis can go into a primary where he's an otherwise viewed as a libertarian and, and far left progressive activists don't like, always like his business decisions. And he can use that as a leverage to say, look at me, I put out the state's largest business. I took them on and won. And he did. He absolutely has you know, 67 permits. Like, look, these people are absolutely putting oil and gas out of business. So that's his, that's his kind of stick over here. He in killed the, his state though. Well, no, but it doesn't matter because it, he killed oil and gas, right? That's the thing is that's what they'll focus on because activists okay, don't Okay, so that's care. the narrative. These I are the same people that, yeah, these, these people burn down cities. They don't care, right? So <laughs> that's, true. That's, a, that's a good thing for them. On the flip side, um, what you're talking about is the, the energy policies is that's what activists do. So it's an activist playbook, right? These are funded. These are well-funded. Everybody thinks that these activists are just grassroots individuals. These are millions of dollars from funding, right? These they it, show up in escalades, and no, I'm talking are, new escalades. Well, no, these are not. I mean, this is not some kind of oh, these conspiracy. It's not. It's fully disclosed. Park Foundation, all these other foundations that are very far left wing are trying to put oil and gas out. It's in their mission statement, so they fund these grassroots activists like you know 350.org and these folks. So they now go out and give them money to AstroTurf. It. This is the way they fought back. So they're just as well-funded, if not more well-funded than oil and gas activists. And I know that because I've worked in this arena for, yeah. for half a decade. They're very, very well-organized and funded. Their goal is to do exactly that. What they did is they focused on Colorado to create a playbook, to create a blueprint, right? Because that's where all activist policies go, right? I heard someone say the other day, um, is a far-left progressive thing. They were talking about how in New York, they want to make sure that they put in place progressive policies because you can change the function of businesses because businesses are located there. You're not going to operate one way in New York in your corporate headquarters and not operate that way on your on your nationwide business or your worldwide business, right? But on the flip side of that, um, you're still you're you're moving that progressive policy along by making those policies be put in place. That's what they did with oil and gas. So now those activists are now exporting because you know Earthworks you know just opened up their office in Houston, Texas, right? They're taking it to the motherland. If people think that there is not a full out of salt to put this industry out of business and make you, the consumer, my constituents that I'm running to represent your lives worse, then we are all kidding ourselves. Environmental mm -hmm. activists have one goal. It's to make your it's to make your standard of life much, much worse and much more expensive. It's that simple. It's really not more complex than that. And they're using that playbook to put in place what they've done in Colorado and extrapolate that to places like California, right? California raised to ban hydraulic fraction because they got to be progressive. Now they're getting sued because it's a takings. It is legal taking. So, I mean, and we'll see some of that in Colorado, I think operators are, are getting frustrated and saying, look, I mean, we've got to seek redress because these rules, you can't comply with them. You can't drill anymore. And no matter what activists tell you, no matter how many times environmental activists get online and beg and plead and talk or whatever, uh, mineral rights, still property rights. Still yep. legally are. They still have legal protections and oil and gas is still a legally protected interest. So I, I you know, I think it's, it's, it's being a lawyer and being an oil and gas lawyer and a litigator at that, I think I, I see some, some very big um, legal challenges and some big, big, big legal discussions on the horizon, right? Exxon's getting sued by Boulder for climate change. I mean, none of this stuff makes sense. I mean, you can sue anybody for anything, but I do think that you're going to I was about to say, right. Boulder sues everybody for everything, but well, never mind that they dude. ship out their homeless people twice a year because they just can't have that in their city. It's, it's always the hypocrisy, Catherine. It's always yeah. hypocrisy. It's always. So interesting. Well, Chris, I know we're wrapping up here. 
you are running for county commissioner, as we have said earlier, for Ellis County District 3, Kansas. You have got a number of, I guess, opponents in your primary. You've got an incumbent. I know you're knocking doors. You're putting up signs. You are excited. You're fired up. We can tell by this podcast alone. But why? Why would your constituents give them a reason to get excited about your campaign? So give us your spiel real fast. So I think we've talked a lot about all the issues, right? I mean, they always used to say all politics is local, um, and it is. I very much agree with that. And and I love Ellis County, you know, and, and, and it brings a perfect example. Ellis County is the top producing oil and gas county and the 10th highest producing oil and gas state in the country, right? Mm-hmm. We are the county seat um, uh, in, in Hayes here for Ellis County. Um, our county has agriculture interests. It has business interests. Manufacturing has a great health care. A lot uh, of people are moving there, as I of, saw the other week. <laughs> yeah, people are moving here. It's it's we're trying to develop it. One, my goal is to, to develop it to be a hub of Western Kansas for retirees, for healthcare, and the like. I have big plans for our county, and not and I'm not talking growth to turn us into a city, right? Which is exactly what we all complain about, where California's moved to Colorado and, and ruin us. Yeah, I want to keep us. A I don't think you community. can kill the small town feel there. I no, think that's, that's what is the charm of the county. And that's our goal, right? My goal, and I love this county. The reason I'm running is I legitimately love the county and the people in this community. It's the reason I moved back here. It's the reason I live here. It's the reason I, I choose to make Ellis County my home. I, I absolutely love Kansas. And anyone that has ever met me for more than five minutes knows I've been a Kansan since the day I was born. And I will be a Kansan the day I die and everything in between. <laughs> and I, I really want to do what's best for these citizens. And I think what I bring is obviously a sense of passion and, and, and engagement and Mm-hmm. And I feel a sense of responsibility. A lot of knowledge. A lot of knowledge, right? I have a lot of local government knowledge and I can pick up stuff I don't learn very, very easily because I understand the process and the law and the legality behind it, right? Counties are, are state extensions by statute of the state, right? Municipalities have home rule. It's very, it's a it's a laid out inter, inter, interplay, right? Municipalities govern the, the areas within their municipal boundaries. As a county commissioner, I'm job, my job is to oversee by roughly 15 departments, EMS, roads and bridges and the like. You know, there's a lot of everyday challenges that that pop up in Ellis County. What I want, first and foremost, it's why my, it's why my, uh, sorry about that. It's why my uh, flyer has my phone number and my email on it, right? It, that's it's true. Because that's when I'm handing out. I want constituents to know they can get a hold of me whenever, whenever they want or express their grievances or express their concerns or thoughts or suggestions or helpful, all of that. I'm running to be a representative of the people of Ellis County. Um, I, I like to talk to people, you know, what I love best about this job, ironically, is not only am I running to dilute my vote because I support an expansion from three to five, I, I'm running to cut my salary from 18.5 to 11.5 because I think we should split it amongst the five. That way we get better oversight, we get more involvement in our community, we get better representation, we get diversity of representation because we can put it in at large in the whole county. So not only am I doing all that, but I also happen to be running because of the responsibility that's involved with this position, right? I tell people I'm six foot eight, 280 pounds. You see me wherever you go, I'm tough to miss, right? When I do something wrong, or if I make bad votes or I make policy choices that aren't best with the community, those people are gonna see me in the community, right? Mm-hmm. They're gonna come up to me. They're gonna say something in the grocery store. A lot of people know my mom. My mom has lived here nearly her entire life. One of the most wonderful human beings ever, right? Everybody loves my mom. They're gonna tell my mom and my mom's gonna call me, right? Yeah, my grandma, yeah, she my grandma might give me a smack and tell me that's a stupid decision, right? She's old school, 95. <laughs> I, I office with one of my best friends in the world, right? You know, you, you, you try to get two or three close friends in your life that, that you, 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 you can really trust and rely on. And one of my dear friends lives in Colorado. And I have a couple of really dear friends that live here in Hayes, which is why I moved back. You know, those, those guys come by and he's going to tell me, I, I told him, you know, he's, 
He's going to be that guy, the constituent, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So to me, what I'm trying to illustrate is I'm trying to do this for the citizens that that know that I'm going to represent their interests. That's the best mm -hmm. interest of their lives. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm not trying to save the world. Sometimes, uh, you know, people ask me when I'm, what are you going to do when you get elected to your point? Well, sometimes the answer is not doing anything, right? We've seen the federal government try to do a lot of stuff and, and it's only made us worse off. For example, we just passed a school bond here, right? I want to see how that interplays with the city and the county taxes. See if we can adjust the mill levy to make sure that our services remain the same at the same time, costing maybe maybe even out our taxpayers so they're not paying more, right? Because you have energy costs, you have high inflation costs, you have supply chain issues, and you live in a in a community that has a fixed income and, and it's a retirement community. So we want to maybe see if we can balance all those interests together to make sure we're not um, we're not tipping the scales this way on, on how much you know people yep. pay in taxes and the like. These are, these are really good, important decisions that we can all do to help people in their daily lives, right? We talk about it's only 50 bucks here, or 50 bucks there, and that stuff starts to add up. And so It adds up real fast. What we want to do is I really want as county commissioner to help people the best way I can. And I want to do that both through the administration of the budget and county services and do that in a responsible fashion with people's taxpayers' dollars. But I also want to do it in an open and transparent fashion where people know that they can come talk to me and understand that when we, do, when we disagree, because... We are going to disagree. There's no two people on planet Earth that agree with each other all the time. There are people that are going to be like, I don't like what you did, but I'm going to explain to them why I did it. I'm going to give you a solid rationale for why I did it. And I'm always open to change. If I get 25% of my district saying, hey, I don't like this, I'm going to listen to them. We're going to see if we can find a solution. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important Excellent. to really rope those interests together while at the same time being mindful for those those scenarios, those situations that arise where you, you know, me having the experience to see what happens when local government is saying, oh, it's not this big if we just let X happen, right? Well, X ends up, X leads to Y, which leads to Z, which leads to parks being closed and, you know, cities being on, you know, not, not the best. Everything is live. a business. And it Everything can happen is anywhere. a business. So yeah. we need to be mindful of that. And, and I just really want to do the best. And, and, and again, what, the reason if, if for anything else, people should want to vote for me because my passion, my enthusiasm, my love for the county, my love for the state, my love for the citizens, and my love of the job to just do a really good job and engage with them, answer their questions and do the best I can um, to make to make Ellis County one of the best places to live, if not the best place to live, not only just in Kansas, but in the country. I love that. Well, you know what Superman said? I was raised in Kansas and it doesn't get more American than that. It so doesn't. ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Chris McGowan for County Commissioner, District 3, Kansas, Ellis County. Go check out his website at www.mcgowan4kansas.com. Follow him on Facebook and give him a vote. And when you see him out and about, and you will see him out and about, be sure to stop by, grill him with a million questions because I am giving you formal permission to do so. Otherwise, check in the show notes below. This is the Crude Audacity Podcast where we talk oil, energy, and politics. Chris, thanks so much for joining. Thank you.